In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. This is the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast. I'm Bill Drees. Our main event is the effort at an Orange Mound comeback, starting with residential property values. Top of the podcast as we record, we are about a week away from the qualifying deadline for those running in the March 3rd countywide primary for General Sessions Court Clerk. The only countywide race in the 2020 election year with the incumbent Ed Stanton not seeking another term. About another week to the filing deadline for that on December 12th at noon, we'll update who made the deadline that day in the Daily Memphian. Meanwhile, the field is set in the Tennessee presidential primaries atop the March 3rd ballot here and across the state. Tennessee, one of 14 states with Super Tuesday primaries. Here's the rundown on the Tennessee ballot on the Republican side. President Donald Trump being challenged by former Illinois Congressman Joe Walsh and former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, who four years ago was the Libertarian Party's vice presidential contender. If you vote in the Republican primary, you will also be voting for delegates to the summer GOP convention statewide and by congressional district. The Democratic presidential primary ballot in Tennessee has 16 contenders. You vote for, if that is your primary, no delegate selection on that side of the ballot. The 16 Democrats include California Senator Kamala Harris, who just recently suspended her campaign, former Vice President Joe Biden, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, Minnesota Senator A.B. Klobuchar, Hedge fund manager Tom Steyer, former HUD secretary Julian Castro, Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, Colorado Senator Michael Bonet, former Maryland Congressman John K. Delaney, author Mary Ann Williamson, and nonprofit founder Andrew Yang. February 3rd is the deadline to register to vote on March 3rd if you are not already registered. Early voting February 12th through the 25th. Mark your calendar. The Memphis City Council votes down a solid waste fee hike proposed by Mayor Jim Strickland and puts off a vote on Memphis light gas and water rate hike proposals at least until the December 17th council session, the last one of the year and the last of the four-year term of office for the current council. The Shelby County Commission having its own residency discussion on terms different than the one at City Hall around police and firefighters. And in other committee sessions this week, the commission noticed that when Mayor Lee Harris made his latest push for a third car fee to fund the Memphis Area Transit Authority, MATA officials were not in the building. MICA, Memphis Interfaith Coalition for Action and Hope, meanwhile floating a MATA funding proposal to use tax money generated as pilots. Payments in lieu of taxes begin to roll off. That combined with a fee on every car in the county with the exemptions for those below a certain income level. MICA estimates its plan would raise the $30 million needed for MATA's overhaul. Shelby County Schools Board members include in their legislative packet a call on the Tennessee legislature to freeze any new charter school authorizations in the state and instead take a detailed look at how effective charters have been, that reported by Chalkbeat. 
We're joined now by Shelby County Property Assessor Melvin Burgess and Ken Washington, Deputy Administrator of Residential Appraiser in the... Uh, uh, yeah, I messed that up. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. We're joined now by Shelby County Property Assessor Melvin Burgess and Ken Washington, Deputy Administrator of Residential Appraisal in the Assessor's Office, to talk about the Orange Mound Initiative, an effort to spread the city's economic boom to a community where, well, let's start here with some statistics to give you an idea of of what's going on here. The average single-family home in Orange Mound is more than 70 years old. 42% of the single-family residential is investor-owned and a big part of the city's single-family rental market. And the median value of residential properties come in at $27,100. So, Mr. Assessor, let's start. What is the reality that these numbers get at for the future of Orange Mound if nothing happens to intervene on these these facts? Could, Could you repeat that again, Bill? I didn't yes. get that off. What What is the reality that those numbers get at for the future of Orange Mound if nothing is done to intervene or to change that? Well, um, Bill, you know, um, what led us to, to this Orange Mound initiative, that's a great, great question, was that, you know, we saw information or documentation in the Brookings report, and it talked about uh, properties that are being devalued. And uh, it, it talked about Shelby County. It talked about poverty in the inner city. It talked about all areas in the inner city. And the thing that caught our eye was that when we put our team to work, uh, such as Mr. Ken and his team, we went and looked on the roll and we found out that literally there's an economic wall built around Orange Mound, Tennessee. Because if you go east of Orange Mound, you got the University of Memphis. If you go west of Orange Mound, you have Cooper Young. Then if you go north of Orange Mound, you got Chickasaw Garden. So the question we were asking ourselves is why... Do if we find ourselves those areas around Orange Mound properties are going up, valued up, and however Orange Mound properties are devalued. So getting to your question is just this: it could be at a no point of return. You know, we talked to uh, what's really a good um, reference or a good um, uh, person on our task force. His name is Dr. Sunderman from the University of Memphis, and he literally said that. This could be a situation where the neighborhood could be so far gone, it could be at no point returning trying to bring it back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're hoping with this task force that we develop under the auspices of the county commission and with all our new members, we, we're we uh, uh, hoping to, you know, put this together and come up with a comprehensive plan by next year. So, right. you know, if it doesn't happen, you know, which I, I'm very excited that it's going to happen because we're working really hard. You know, the main thing is, is that we got really good people in the task force and we know that we're going to have to build up uh, the CDCs as well as, you know, the, the uh, task force was authorized, of course, by the county commission under the Neighborhood Development uh, Corporate Corporation Act of Tennessee. So we want to make sure that we fit, you know, we're in line with all the groups, not just that, even the CDC, because we know that that, you know, all the CDCs that do well, like Cooper Young, University of Memphis, you know, it has to be back or it has to be aligned to what we're trying to go mm-hmm. as far as asking for funds and stuff like that. Um, Mr. Washington, you, you you work with these numbers every day. When you put together these numbers as a starting point for, for this effort, were you surprised? Actually, I was, Bill, because I had no idea that they were in contrast to other neighborhoods, the surrounding neighborhoods, as low as they are. Typical ages, um, not 
house was built in 1947. So that's getting over 70 years old. So that's the median age, meaning that only a few of them are, are newer. There is no, it indicated no new growth and development in that particular area. Mm-hmm. But statistically speaking, the median price of homes in Shelby County is in the neighborhood of $150,000. And we're down at $27,100 for this particular area. So we were astounded, actually, to find uh such a disparity. Consequently, uh, based on that Brookings report, we delved a little bit further into it, and we developed a task force. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of discussion at, at the outset of this, and, and our L. Perry re- reported on the first meeting that that, that, that group has had, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and discussion here about increasing the property values in Orange Mound. How do you do that? Uh, the property values in Orange Mound will probably increase, assuming that we can have some new growth and development. Part of this is going to be uh, the commercial businesses coming in. Commercial businesses, as you know, Kroger left uh, last year, and there is not a lot of commercial growth and development up and down Park Avenue, also one of the main boundaries of this Orange Mountain Initiative is Lamar Avenue, and uh, that's been depleted. Mm-hmm. We are going to depend on the redevelopment, first of all, of the commercial parcels, and uh, then ultimately the development of the residential property. The residential property, because of its early design, has some in a, in adequacies that we have got to address. One of those would be based on codes. Typical lot in Orange Mound was 25-foot frontage. We really would like to see the combination of uh, two lots, two adjacent lots having 50-foot frontage, and then bringing everything up to code based on that and some other things. Mm -hmm. Because uh, when these homes were built, for instance, there were very different electrical standards for how you wire a house uh, in post in immediate post-World War II is very different than it is now. You're exactly correct. And we don't know that the uh, infrastructure actually within this particular area has been updated recently. Mm-hmm. I don't have the statistics on that, but uh, typically what has happened in the past uh, is that a lot of these houses have just been deserted left by second, third generation homeowners and the houses go for taxes. Sometimes no one resides in them and they end up being dilapidated or demolished is what one of the things that we found. So Mm -hmm. uh, the infrastructure has to be improved in order for us to make it viable for individuals to want to come back to this particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now, just this past week, uh, and, and you talked about Kroger moving out at Lamar and Airway, Superlow opened, had a soft opening for their supermarket at that at that same location. That's correct. It, is this a one-off project, or, or are there applications here for the commercial environment in, in, in Orange Mound? Can you, can you replicate that to other parts uh, in terms of commercial you, development. You know, one thing we talked about in our last meeting, our first meeting was no more than an informative meeting, giving them the data, the stats. Uh, matter of fact, Mr. King was one of the presenters. 
And, you know, what we want, you know, everyone to know is that, you know, it's going to take some time. And we know in order to get, um, you know, it up to par, we said we was going to try to do it in zones. We had a developer that was there who talked about doing the work in zones because I think in four zones, that's, it's, it's not complete. So don't hold me to this. But that's what the task force talked about, mm-hmm. because you really got to look at the reality of what we're trying to do. But but like the next meeting that we're having on next Wednesday or Thursday, we're pretty much going to try to, to develop like a CDC. We're going to try to develop a, uh, or maybe a historic, getting with historic commission and seeing to make sure that Orange Mountain is on a historic, is, is considered historic because knowing all of that, it can get tax credits. It can get additional funds or it can get, you know, any kind of funding that we know is going to have to come into the community. And also we have been talking to investors you know, uh, anticipating that they would help us, you know, uh, with a hedge fund and other, you know, institutional investors, you know, that might take advantage of the investment in Orange Brown because it is considered opportunity zone. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things, too, that, you know, we want to try to. And that's why we have uh, a couple of developers, three developers, of course, uh, the Henry Turley. We got James Macklin and we have Montgomery Martin on our task force. So we know we're going to have to, to get these groups together, like your CDCs, make sure they up to par and the right people, which you will be, you know, um, uh, not selected, but guided by this task force. Mm-hmm. So with, with, uh, lower property values, dirt, cheap real estate prices in, in, in any area, not just in orange man. Um, talk a bit about the ceiling that that imposes on an investor or, or a developer who might have bigger plans and ambitions for improving the housing stock, but they don't want that investment to get above what the appraised value is of the property because they don't feel like they, they're going to get a return on it. So we are probably going to need some uh, cooperative financing from other areas other than just the individual's who are in fact purchasing. I wouldn't want to purchase a house and knowing at the purchase time that it's worth less uh, at resale time than what I am doing. And as a developer, I wouldn't want to put an $80,000 property in a neighborhood that it costs 80000 to build and all I can sell it for is $40,000. So I think... Uh, we have seen other examples in uh, Binghampton, Cooper Young area, where, in fact, subsidies have helped remedy that particular situation. It's it's uh, not going to be an easy one here uh, in the Orange Mound area, but it can be done. We want to make it attractive so that uh, some of, you know, those movers and shakers, the younger people, can, in fact, have a mm-hmm. desire to move back in. Some of the Orange Mound uh, citizens who have lived their time, you know, a long time, will want to even start rebuilding their own homes, refurbishing their own homes. So it's going to take a combination of things. And Bill, just to add to that is if you know, you know, when I was on the county commission, being Hampton was in my district, so myself and uh, George Chisholm, uh, the one that obtained that TIF to get that project started. So we're right. also looking at exploring the use of the TIF, which is you know, the tax uh, increment financing. So you know, we look at all options to try to to bring funding within the Orange Mountain. Now, our ideal, I don't say mine, but you know, we talked about you know that Park Avenue from from um, not Airways, but from Lamar all the way maybe to uh, Highland. 
that, that, that that would be the stretch. You know, that could be the stretch because I'm mean, looking at University of Memphis. The main was, stretch. That could be the main stretch, mm-hmm. a main stretch that we would really like because, you know, just like you said earlier, you know, we're going to have to attract a younger group, these millennials. And what do millennials like? You know, they want to stay right there in the neighborhood to go to the eateries, go to the coffee shops, just to go to a little small grocery shopping. So that's what we're going to have to bring a storefront like that. Look at Cooper Young that kind of a storefront in order to bring these millennials. However, in our task force, someone did talk about, well, what about the people that are already there? You know, what kind of program will we have to help them get their homes back up to par? Then someone talked about the infrastructure and trying to do new development. So there's just so much that we're discussing in our task force as we move this um, mm-hmm. initiative forward. Well, what do the statistics show? Because I, I we, we hear and talk so much about out-of-town or out-of-state in, investors. But but also the other part of the challenge here is people who may have inherited a home uh, from a family member who who don't want to live there, but but don't have any way of of really restoring the property or or, or, or renovating the property. Do you know what what the mix is of of second and third generation Orange Mound residents or, or extended family versus folks who just see a low price on a piece of real estate and say, buy it? Well, you know, that's, that's a good question. And uh, uh, it's ironic you bring that up because uh, I, I know you've probably been reading some of our, you know, uh, the paper and was talked about. We noted that 70% of the properties in Orange Mound are in the, that, that are in the land bank owned by the county. You know, and, you know, I think what, it, what has happened is they, they go in like um, uh, he said earlier that, you know, they go in and they, it sits there, it sits there and they tear it down. Well, has someone actually gone in to make sure that the that the uh, the structure is OK, the roof and the walls? However, sure, of course, they're going to break in and steal the copper. But how many of those homes are we bringing down that really have good, you know, good sound structures? Now, uh, that was a situation that, that we're coming across, and like you're talking about third generation, where the kids own the home, they're not here, they're not fixing them up. Well, we, we got another problem, too, is a, a, late, a lot of these older people uh, who had these homes, guess what they have done? They have turned them over to some of the nursing homes to where they are, they have, they are taking uh, ownership of them. Mm-hmm. So that's another caveat. And, you know, and good, you know, by the way, you know, we're working closely with Jay Hardaway. To see if we can come up with some kind of legislation or see what we can come up with to how can we aid, uh, you know, those kind of properties, you know, that are out there that there's no attention. There's just no attention because they're going to end up in a land bank or they're going to end up being taken over by taxes, mm-hmm. tax sale. So, Bill, let me just add to what the assessor has mentioned there. Uh, I am married to a person who grew up in Orange Mound. And, in fact, that property, two of them, are now in the hands of a second generation. Uh, my wife's um, brother actually owns those properties, and he is, in fact, uh, fixing those up. He's fixing up the one that he lives in at this time, but he's not able to maintain the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, resources is a problem. So we see a lot of that. Uh, I think if they were the second, third generation family members, were knowledgeable of some sort of financing that might help them uh, do some repairs. They don't want to leave Orange sure. Mound. They want to stay there. Stay so, uh, but it it takes them knowing and understanding how to fill out the paperwork. So, hopefully, through this task force, we will make those uh, loans 
some of them being forgiven along the line available to them. And 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 it 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 really doesn't even bring in in intent. Uh, everybody that I've ever encountered from Orange Mountain has a great deal of pride about that That's community. Right. Oh, absolutely. And you know what, Bill? Just to add to why, well, since Ken said it, my wife's from Orange Mountain also, and I was married in Orange Mountain on March and Neal and Park Avenue, uh, Mount Pisgah CME Church, mm-hmm. twenty seven years ago. So he is right. There's a lot of pride. You know, there's a lot of pride in Melrose High School. There's a lot of pride in Dunbar. But there again, you know, if if, if this neighborhood comes back around, of course, you know, the education would automatically just flourish because, you know, we have no problem in all of our areas in the inner city to where the schools are closing because people are migrating out uh, of the neighborhoods. Was- yeah, he was on his was way. close to closing, was closing at yep. least twice. That's right. Exactly. It was mm-hmm. because of the academics. So hopefully, because you know, if you with the schools, it's a feeder pattern. Because I think there you got Dunbar, Sherwood, and Middleton, Melrose. So if their feeder pattern is not up to par, why are those kids going to go to Sherwood up to par than the Melrose? So you're exactly right. They were on the verge mm-hmm. of closing. Why did you think it was important for the assessor's office to get involved in, in this? Because in, in the past, the office has been viewed... Sure. Rightly or wrongly, sure. as a neutral keeper of appraised values for tax sure. purposes, sure. along with administrative functions. So, why was it important to go this direction? Well, it was important, you know. You know, when I got there, got a great team um, of. I mean, just I mean, team. I mean, this team. I mean, we go to Nashville. When we go to Jackson, I mean, they talk about you know that big uh, black box case we won with Lowe's. You know, we won that case. And uh, also at the state level, um, uh, one of the one of the law firms here uh, was trying to put in some new rules or try to stir the state to, to put in some new rules of, of what we're doing, of how do we go about doing discovery and things like that. And of course, we our office led the way because, you know, of course, Shelby County is the big, biggest county. And I got a call from one of the assessors in Knox County that said that, you know, we really appreciate, you know, what you all are doing as far as um uh, taking the lead because it's going to affect all of us. So they really look to us, you know, Shelby County to lead the way, which this office has really done. And what I've charged them, Bill, to do is in our office, in our cabinet means for everybody to think outside the box. And, uh, and that's what they did. And even when the Electrolux case and the Mitsubishi case, you know, we go straight to work. And this situation, you know, when, when I read the Brookings Institute report, you know, when you see Shelby County in there, Shelby County in there, then we get our team together. Then they start looking at the numbers. You know, they and 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 these offices, Bill, that we do as elected officials, you can always go above, step beyond. You know, yeah, of course, my job is sit there, assess the property, and all of that. But uh, and and also, when I got there, I'm short of appraisers. I'm supposed to have 84 appraisers, only have 45. Mm-hmm. You see, so and that means that guess what? We're only burdening residential. What about commercial? What about personal property? You see, so that's the issue also. So those are some things that I saw that I know we can move to the next level. And when we saw the study and when we saw the numbers here, I feel that, you know, we can lead the way. The assessor's office can lead the way and say, hey, look, this is what the assessor's doing now. And look, maybe they need to look at this and other. And, you know, I hope we can take this model you know, uh, that we're trying to, this comprehensive plan that we're trying to implement. Hope we can take this to other cities, you know, in the inner cities to help you know, revitalize inner city uh, communities. Um, Bill, Bill, sure. if I may add, mm-hmm. I think your statement early on or, or your question to address your question is, why are we doing it now? I will have worked at the assessor's office 30 years this coming January the 2nd. I've been through several administrations since 1990. And you're right. This is the first one that has stepped out of the box of just being the keeper of appraisals. 
and appraised values. And it is really um, a godsend for everybody in Shelby County that we are trying to help Shelby County move ahead. We're not just trying to collect taxes or set appraisals so that uh, the taxes can be collected. We are trying to overall re-stimulate what's going on in Shelby County. As the assessor mentioned, you go to places like Nashville, Atlanta, and, and you see some growth and development. Why not here in Memphis? We're right here on the Mississippi River. Plus, we have lots of other things to offer. So this can be a, a really great template for other similar neighborhoods in Shelby County. And as the assessor mentioned, we can apply it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let's talk about what's come before it, too. Frazier has seen an increase in its property values after several decades of, of really hard work there. Could that be a model of uh, a way forward for Orange Mound as, as well? If I, if I may, mm-hmm. uh, yes, a lot of what has taken place in Frazier um, has been because of investors moving in, well, purchasing the properties. Shelby County has one of the uh, investors' uh, dreams of coming in, buying low, and selling high. And that has helped stimulate the growth. Also, within the last two or three years, financing has become available in the Fraser area by larger lenders, where in the past, in oh, 2025, uh, excuse me, 2005, that wasn't possible. So it's only been last less than 10 years that this financing has become available. All and right. Bill, Bill, and I think just mm-hmm. I want to add to that. I think also there was that 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 caused it to be the way. Of course, it was my district when I first started as a county commission. But remember when uh, Frazier got the ASD? They got the Achievement School District. The Achievement School District. So, yes. see, that stimulated mm-hmm. the, 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 the schools there that were failing. So, he gave the, the community, hey, look, we're going to build a whole new school. And I think a guy came down from Nashville, can't think of his name, to become the superintendent. And they're still working on that model. So, once again, education, I think a, a new way of education was, was, uh, was uh, you know, dished out to the people and they, and they bought on it. So, that's part mm-hmm. of it too, that they felt that they was going to get a new, um, uh, educational system or a new uplift or new fresh uh, a breath of fresh air to the education system. So I think that ASD did something to it, too. All right. <laughs> to to wrap up here, uh, recap for me a, a, a timeline for some near-term milestones that you want to see in this initiative. Obviously, the task force has just had one meeting, so they right. will continue to meet on this. Right. That's very difficult. Of course, we plan to have something next year, a comprehensive plan. But there again, you know, uh, I'm just part of the task force, the chairman. However, I have uh, 14 other members. So really just it's going to, it's kind of hard to say, but we're working hard. Uh, matter of fact, we met this morning and uh, of course I got attorneys on the task force. Uh, of course I got Roshan Alston. No, you know her. Mm-hmm. And we got um, uh, two people from HC. We got Paul Young. We have uh, John Zelenka. We got all, everyone from every walks of life on that task force that will help us get where we need to go. So, just stay in tune, and we'll keep you informed. I, matter of fact, I brought you over a book, but I forgot it. So hope I can get there to you. The first book that we gave out okay. in our first task force meeting. All right. Shelby County Property Assessor Melvin Burgess, Jr. and Ken Washington, Deputy Administrator of Residential Appraisal for the Assessor's Office. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As we record, Nike Executive Willie Gregory has been named the new board chairman of the Greater Memphis Chamber.
With that in mind, outgoing board chair Richard Smith is our guest on this week's Behind the Headlines on WKNO Channel 10. Smith keeping his day job at the helm of FedEx Express. Our discussion has feed in both worlds, the Chamber and FedEx. It includes the rapid changes in personnel at the Chamber during Smith's tenure, what he called scope creep, why his call for an incentives-only approach to growing minority business was probably ill-timed, and what his new idea on that is. And he tells us the city probably has focused too much on logistics, but that he doesn't think there's much of a chance a lot of workers will be stuck in those jobs since FedEx and other companies are already having trouble hiring workers for those jobs. You can also hear the program on the Behind the Headlines podcast, and we have a bit more of the conversation on an extra BTH podcast. Subscribe to The Daily Memphian at dailymemphian.com. You can subscribe to this podcast at Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at bdreesdm and at Daily Memphian. I'm Bill Drees. The Daily Memphian Politics Podcast is produced by Natalie Van Gundy. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.